Welcome to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan, and thank you so much for joining us today. We know that uh, there's so many other things going on, so many other things you could be listening to right now, but you have decided to listen to what God has in store for you on this podcast. So we just pray and ask that God would bless you in this sermon Thank you again for joining us. Don't forget, you are part of the Rock Creek Family Church family. Welcome to Wednesday night service. Uh, I don't remember what number we're on, but we're just in the middle of Revelation. Anybody anybody know? 10, 11, 500? At least. At least. Uh, Looks like we're in chapter 6, according to the notes. So... (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's gonna be good. I'm sure. I'm, are you guys enjoying it? Yep. If you're online, are you enjoying it? Uh, we know you are. You don't have to tell us. We know. No, it's it's been good. It really has. It's been really really good. And um, I it's it's crazy. I saw somebody uh, actually posted on Facebook earlier today. I was like, does anybody know a good book or a good study guide for Revelation? And I was thinking, I know a guy. A <laughs> guy right there. He knows. No, it's it's good. It is good. Um, I'm wearing a blessed shirt today because I am indeed blessed. And uh, I I saw it laying there. It wasn't the shirt I was gonna wear, but um, I guess I needed a little bit of a reminder that I'm I'm truly blessed. Um, there's some days that I feel like I don't I don't see it, but um, we've had some really nice mornings lately. Mm-hmm. It's been really cool. And uh, I take the dogs out to walk in the morning, and then I just I just want to stand there and just take it in, and and uh, I I am truly blessed and, and grateful, and I'm grateful to be a part of such a great church family. So thank you, and uh, let's get into it tonight. Let's let us not delay anymore. Would you join me in prayer, Father God? We thank you, God. We thank you for the, this amazing opportunity to be here, to to be online, or or to be here in person, God. God, to be able to come together in some kind of way to, to learn more about you, God, and to learn more about your word, to grow closer to you, God. God, to be able to do that with a family, God, is, is amazing, and we are truly blessed and grateful and thankful for it. So, God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this opportunity. I ask that you would be with us and speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, yes. Back to the book of Revelation. And yes, you read correctly, chapter 6. You snooped up, chapter 6. We will get started with that. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 6. Welcome, everybody. Good to be here. Good to be with you. Good to be seen. Good to be viewed. Uh, Have talked to a good number of people who have said thank you. Thank you for doing uh, Revelation that they have really enjoyed and... and, um, Really, for the first time, digging into the book of Revelation. I know some of us were, were an old hat at this. We probably read Revelation a few hundred times. But um, I know this, every time I go back through Revelation, even though I've taught it umpteen times, I always find something different. Either a little bit of a twist on a, on a perspective or uh, maybe something that relates to what's going on nowadays, um, which is a lot. <laughs> Uh, definitely a lot. In fact, you'll see 
a lot of things that might actually perk your ears up or hear a lot of things that might perk up your ears a little bit to what is going to be going on then versus what's going on now and how there is a little bit of foreshadowing happening right now as we speak in, in our own country uh, not and, and also in the world. But anyways, so yeah, we're going to go into uh, the book of Revelation chapter 6. Hope you are getting something out of it. Hope you are enjoying it. Um, now we're going to get to the place where we may not enjoy it so much because it's a little bit scary. Um, it's a little bit serious. Um, not so much scary for the true believers um, because we know that we are we're taken care of. Um, whether you're mid-trib or post-trib or pre-trib or whatever it is, you're taken care of. Um, I will say this. Uh, some people would say, well, either way, we're going to go through a little bit of persecution and that may be very true. Um, in fact, it's, it could happen at any given time. It really could. Um, I'm not a gloom and doom type of preacher at all, but um, God's already been working on me for Sunday morning. And the message for Sunday morning is watch and pray. Because uh, uh, there is a lot of things happening right now. There, there's a major, major spiritual warfare going on right now. And we as believers do need to be watching and praying sincerely, uh, not giving up on that, not, not uh, holding back on that, but getting that in order, getting that in line. Um, because uh, persecution is, it can happen at any time. Uh, in one way or another, there's lots of ways that we could have to deal with that. And we're not promised that, we're, uh, that we would completely not have to deal or handle any persecution ever. That's never been promised in Scripture. Now, I do believe He has a promise for His church to call us out of His wrath and away from His wrath. But as far as persecution from the world, that's just part of it. It's part of our walk. Um, so we just have to make sure we're prayed up and we're ready to go. Um, all right, uh, real quick before I get uh, started... Um, I want to make just a, a real brief announcement. Um, we had already put out a, a video earlier today uh, welcoming everyone to come to Lake Hamilton School and uh, pray. Uh, pray for the school, pray for the administrators, school board, teachers, the students, counselors, specialists, nurses, all of the above. So many, so many, so many people that work out there, uh, cafeteria workers, janitors. You name it. There's, there's umpteen billion people out there that, that need to be prayed for. So uh, this Sunday we are going to meet out there at the administration building there in the parking lot. Those that are able, those that want to, uh, those that feel like prayer warriors, those that are connected in any way and want to pray. We're going to meet out there Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock and we're going to pray. Um, also, we had a teacher from Langston that said, please come and pray for them too. So we will try to do that at some point in time. Definitely so. If, if a school says they want prayer, we're going to be there. Um, we're going to do that. We're, we're going to make sure we fit that in somehow, somewhere, someday, very soon. Very soon. So uh, if there's any other ones, let me know. Um, this is what we do. This is, this is how we roll. We pray. Um, God said, my house shall be called. House of prayer. So let's do it. Let's do what he says. Let's, let's be the church he wants. Amen? All right. Revelation chapter 6. We're going to just read through it, and then we'll go back and dissect it. Uh, kind of like when you're in 
anatomy and physiology class or you're in, you're in biology class and they throw that frog out there, you look it over and you, 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 you name it. <laughs> we always had to name ours, right? Um, you, you name it, you look it over, you get to know it real well, get to know the exterior real well, and then you start slicing and dicing, right? Um, so, so for those of you that love frogs, I'm sorry. Uh, my, my apologies. Uh, but we're going to read this first. We're going to look at, look at it. We're going to name this chapter. Then we'll start slicing and dicing. All right, here we go. Now I saw when the Lamb opened up one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on, on it to take peace from the earth, that the people should kill one another, and that there was given to him a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death and Hades. And Hades followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they had held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. And I looked, and he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth, and as a fig tree drops its late figs, when it's shaken by the mighty wind, then the sky receded like a scroll. And when it is rolled up, every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and he who is able to stand. We about, then we'll stop right there because we'll start. Uh, we'll, next week we probably will do 7 and 8. Yeah, that's a really big tall order, I realize, doing two chapters in one night. 
but I think we can do seven and eight um, together next week. But for this week, uh, we're obviously talking about these, this scroll that we had talked about starting last week. How um, John was there before the throne of God and he had seen the scroll in the right hand of God. The scroll having seven seals on that sealed up and he began to weep because even though there was a strong angel there proclaiming this, he was not worthy. No one was found worthy or at least in John's eyes at the time, no one was found worthy to open up this scroll. He couldn't see anybody there. Then he looks up. The angel says, look up, look up, you know, pay attention. And he looks up to see the Lamb of God as though he had been slain, standing there with all of heaven, now beginning to sing a new song unto him, saying, He is the worthy one. Now we Just real brief recap. We talked about how um, the fact that it is the Lamb of God, the one, He's the one that is considered worthy to open the seals of this scroll. Why? Uh, well, it ties back into where John said, I see the lamb as though he had been slain. Uh, what that probably means is that he had seen him still with scars and the evidence of him going to the cross and him going to the scourging post. Um, that, that evidence was Jesus still bearing the sins of the world. And, and um, we also believe that that scroll ties into the title deed to earth. And we know Christ is the one that paid the price for that deed. He's the one for God so loved the world that he gave um, Christ, right? Uh, he gave Christ for the whole world for that title deed. We also know that Christ is the one who said, I now have the keys. Um, I have the keys. What do keys do? They, they, they lock things, but they also unlock things and open things. And so it's possible that that's part of what he's using his keys for is to unlock these seals to open up this scroll. Also, the big picture is this, and I think it's one more time. And we even see it in this chapter. One more time, God's saying, I still have mercy. I still have mercy, and mercy still triumphs over, ju over judgment. All right, I still have mercy in fact, the actions that I do are going to be done through my son who gave everyone mercy. Okay, So this is not just God being ticked off and saying, fooey on all of you. It's God saying, listen, I have given you so many years and so much time. And I've poured out my mercy and my grace to you. And I've done everything that I could do to grab your attention, to bring you to me through my son, Jesus Christ. And everything I do for you is through him from beginning to now. Because remember, in the very beginning, we're created in the image of God. Well, who's the image of God? It's the same one that, that said, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father, right? It's Jesus Christ. And so from beginning to end, he's, he's working in the earth through his Son, Jesus Christ. And then all the way even at the end, he's saying, listen, I'm doing all of this through the Lamb of God. Because I'm doing all of this, even though there's some wrath there and some judgment there. I'm doing all of this to make sure you know that I have, to call, uh, I have to draw a line in the sand somewhere. And we have to call sin, sin. And it's time that we come out and just say, yes, there's mercy. And yes, there's sin. And you have a choice to separate from that. Okay, so here we are now. The scroll is being opened. The seals are being broken. 
the freshness seal has been popped and uh oh, here comes the aroma of, not, of some not so good stuff. Uh, I, how many of you remember the um, commercial that says the best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup and the, every commercial was um, somebody either coming home early in the morning and starting up some coffee and someone just, you know, laying in the bed with their hair all perfectly fixed and makeup already on, no bad breath, no morning breath, right, laying there perfectly sound asleep like that, you know, how so cute, like in an angelic pose and getting up and there's no wrinkles on that nightgown or those pajamas that the guy had, nothing and... Oh, it smells delicious, smells so good, and I just stretch a little bit, and I wake up with a big smile and grin on my face, and I walk into a, a kitchen that's, that there's no dishes in the sink, and nothing's clean, there's no crumbs on the counter. I walk into this beautiful kitchen with my beautiful husband or wife or whoever, my daughter, somebody there that I truly love, that's just standing there like this with a cup of coffee, saying, here you go in the morning paper, and I'll even read it to you, right? And uh, I've even got the, the comics and the funnies out of it for you and laid it there. And by the way, I'll even make sure I start fixing you breakfast. And oh, this beautiful picture of, of waking up to this reality of life and the folders in your cup. Well, not quite the same wake up call here. <laughs> not quite the same wake up call. Um, there's a reason why you will continually hear thunderous voices. Throughout all of Revelation, you hear a thunderous voice, a voice that speaks as thunder. Uh, what does thunder do? Have you ever been around a place that is really close to a lightning strike or, or really close to a thunderclap? What does it do? It shakes everything, including you. That's right. It will. There is nothing there is no, we, we have a slab, and I can still hear the pitter-pat of feet that are getting much bigger. That when thunder really is, we know that it's coming. Thunder will wake you up. Thunder will get your attention. Thunder will shake you. And that is quite literally what is beginning to happen in Revelation chapter 6. It is a shaking. It's a quaking. It's a moving. Now, I... I say that as a segue into saying this. I told you, um, we're, some of the things we read and are going to dive into, they might perk up your ears a little bit about some of the things that's going on now. Did some of that stuff that I read just a little bit to you go, wait a minute, we're kind of already seeing some types and some shadows of that. Um, this is the age-old question that is really heating up right now. Uh, you can go on YouTube, you can go on the internet, and there are, there are so many people and people that are having dreams and people that are prophesying, people that are speaking what God is dealing with them about, churches and preachers and even just people that are having dreams. And, and In fact, I'm not going to lie, God has ramped up a few dreams in my life and even in some people that I know are, are having more dreams now. Um, about a lot of things and then a lot of those things pertaining to what's going on in the end of days and what's going to be happening here in possibly the very near future. Um, they don't question, are we living in the last days? I'm going to say yes. 
And I can say that because we have been living in the last day, days since around AD 33. <laughs> you see how I politically <laughs> ran around that bush? <laughs> right? Um, but truthfully, so um, even on top of that, I do feel like things are shaking now. I really do. I feel like America is being shaken. I feel like God is allowing America to be shaken. I feel like it's being done so because um, God's trying to get our attention. And if we believe, if you believe like I believe, that there is another outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the final days, because I believe cyclically uh, how God does everything in cycles and seasons and and how it begins is often how it ends, and how it ends is often how it begins. And so if it, the church began under a move of the Holy Spirit powerfully at a time of persecution. See, a lot of times we get that confused. We think, if there's persecution, then that means there's not revival. That's absolutely the opposite that happens in the church world. Where there is persecution, there is oftentimes revival. Because real faith rises like cream to the top. And when real faith rises and shows up in powerful ways, then more people that are associated with that will go, oh, wait a minute, so this really is true. What else would make, what kind of faith would make disciples who were not religiously trained, disciples who had day jobs, disciples who had families, disciples who had possibly a whole other life to go back to, what would make them Rise up and be martyrs for this man called Jesus Christ who at the time was not even with them in bodily form anyways. Was not even with them. And what would make them continue to, to build this church on someone who was only with them for three to three and a half years? What would make them continually persevere through persecution and martyrdom and all kinds of serious stuff that was going on? What would make them have their faith growing when even at times they were rebellious and at times they were scared and at times they, they denied Christ and they, they weren't perfect? What would make them do that? That there was some, something very supernatural happening on the inside of them. And while, yes, the church may be going through some persecution, even, even if we are moving quickly towards a rapture, which I believe is probably one of the next really big prophetic things that's going to happen, whether that happens 50 years from now or 10 seconds from now, uh, we need to do something, Jonathan. Next time I say that, you need to like throw a black cloth over the, the camera and then pull it back and then we'll all be gone. <laughs> Just to kind of scare a, few, scare a few people. And then somebody's got to play a trumpet, right? You've got you to gotta, you gotta blow a shofar. That's right, we get Eli here to blow a shofar. We'll get, we'll get all of that. But uh, back to the point of there's thunderings and shakings happening all through Scripture. And I certainly believe that now could be a precursor. Um, kind of like you have some tremors before the big earthquake hits. I really believe that there is some shaking and some tremors that's going on right now. Um, who knows how long those tremors may go, but we know this. There's some shaking going on. Not in a rock and roll kind of way, but, but there's some stuff happening. All right, so let's dive back into this. Chapter 6, verse 1. That lamb now is opening up the scroll. 
We talked real quick about this, the lamb. I'm not going to go back over that, how the, that lamb that was worthy, um, counted worthy, because he's the one that paid the price. And uh, we know that in God's point of view, power is, uh, power is not determined by stature. Power is determined by worth. And he is the one that is worthy. All right, so let's go on. Uh, when, then we have these four living creatures that are encircling the throne. Um, don't have time to go through the four living creatures. We've got to move on, cause, uh, but, but it's an interesting study. You guys sometime uh, need to go in and, and start researching the four living creatures. Uh, Cherubim-type angelic beings that are always surrounding the throne. Most, <clears throat> excuse me, most people believe that... Um, that they pers- that they're they're kind of a angelic personification uh, of what Christ stood for. Um, for instance, uh, one had the face of a man, one had the face of an ox, one had the face of a lion, one had the face of an eagle, and they all represent something. And, and um, uh, we kind of point back to types and shadows of Christ and. How the face of the man, well, Christ is called the Son of Man who came as a man to deliver men, right? Um, that's why a lot of people, when they see angels, they see a being that kind of looks like a man. Um, it's something recognizable that we can grab onto, we can hold on to. You know, if, if Jesus would have come down as a horse, well, this story would be totally different. But he came as a man so that we could recognize God. Okay. Second is the face of an ox, which represents service. Uh, he came, it also is a sacrifice. In the old temple, the service and the sacrifice was done by the ox, right? And the ox also was a beast of burden. That burden was placed on him to do something that he was created to do. And Jesus is, in an essence, that same, our burden of our sin was placed on him, right? Uh, the face of a lion, He's known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. That even though he has suffered, even though he has suffered, even though he has been in service, he is still victorious over all of that. The face of an eagle, that is the picture of a higher perspective than anything on the earth. Um, It is a creature that sits higher and a creature that that soars higher and has just a totally different perspective of the earth. That's why its eyesight is so keen. Um, He also gives us a promise that the Holy Spirit... For those that wait on the Lord, well, what? Well, Holy Spirit will mount us up uh, and on eagles' wings, right? On those wings of an eagle. So all these things kind of point to Jesus. You can take many different interpretations of that, but let's just move on from there. Here we go into verse 2. And if I'm going too fast, y'all throw something at me. Not hard, but just throw something at me. Uh, preferably a donut. <laughs> okay, moving on. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. This is not secretariat. This is a serious situation here. A white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. Um, There's different interpretations of this, but doing it in the dispensational theory... How you have now this beginning of the seven years of tribulation, which 
when, if we have time, we'll go back to Daniel that talks about uh, the, the, the 70 weeks and talks about the times and time and half a time and all of that. Uh, we'll talk about that if we have time later. If not, we'll try to get it next week. Um, but here you have this, this tribulation period that most likely is around seven years of time beginning with this first white horse being a ruler of some kind. Now you also have to remember these horses are they're encircling the globe. They're being set free to circle the entire globe. This is not just an American horse or a or a Jewish horse or a Russian horse or a Chinese horse or African horse or whatever. This this is a horse uh, that is going to encircle the entire globe. So all of these horses, all of these seals, all these things that's going to be happening, happening is globally. Okay. So first of all, we got to realize: could we be at an age and at a time in which global events shake us all? We're in one. We're in one. Probably the first one that I can ever remember, and I'm only like 19 years old. Plus, <laughs> plus a few, <laughs> plus a few. Nose, get back in there. <laughs> plus a few. Mom and Dad didn't have me today. We're 70. <laughs> Sorry, nose, get back in there even further. I'm going to get myself in trouble. Let's move on. <laughs> so here you have this white horse bringing a conqueror whose main goal in life is to conquer. Not is to have the betterment of people or humankind. Not is to set up a government that truly loves people and wants to see everybody come together, hold hands, and sing Kumbaya, right? This is his main goal is to conquer. Most uh, interpret this as probably the Antichrist, the, the first embodiment fully of the Antichrist. Christ. Uh, what we know of, uh, called, I believe, in Daniel and later in, in, um, in Revelation, he's called the beast from the sea. Yeah, the Antichrist is called the beast from the sea, not because he rises up necessarily out of the ocean, but is that there is this sea of nations all of a sudden becoming one nation or becoming one world, which we know and we believe that that government, that money, that religion, that whatever, all of this has got to move globally into the direction of being a one world system. And I do believe a lot of that will, will already begin to be in place before he rises up. In my mind, it's just because uh, it would take a lot of time for that to come to pass. And so a lot of precursor things must have taken place first. And then he rises up and he begins to take over that and take over it in a way where he is doing so for the main purpose of conquering. Now, it's pretty interesting to, to me that if you look up the word conquer in the original language, in the Greek there, it not only means to be victorious, but it also means to use the law to win or maintain one's cause. To use the law that not only, it's, it's not just that he rules with an iron fist, but he does so through litigation and through laws. And there's obviously uh, some warfare going on there. 
Um, in fact, he even says he rises up with both a bow and a crown, which means he is going to take control militarily speaking and governmentally speaking. And they're going to be probably one in this, each one working together toward this rising of what we know, what we call the Antichrist. Um, we don't have time to go into every little thing about the Antichrist, but just know this, the Scripture talks a lot about the Antichrist. Uh, the book of Second uh, Thessalonians, I believe, Paul calls him the son of man, or I mean the son of man of sin, calls him the man of sin or the man of perdition. Um, we also know that uh, the book of Daniel says that he rises up in fullness and in fierceness, and he has these schemes about him ready to basically de bring on destruction uh, for his glory and no one else's. And if you think about who Christ was, and the exact opposite of that is a personification of, of Satan himself being in this Antichrist. Now, there is something uh, interesting. Let me find this here in Scripture. First uh, John... 1 John 2, 18 and 1 John 4 and 3 talks about the Antichrist. In fact, if you look at all of the references in Scripture about the Antichrist, there's over a hundred references. So this is, this is not just a little thing that's just casually mentioned in Scripture. But there is something, um, something deep and profound about knowing this Antichrist stuff. 1 John 2.18, Little children, it is the last hour, as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. So let's stop for a second. We think, well, wait a minute. If way back then, a couple of thousand years ago, they're writing that the Antichrist is already here, then what in the world is this all about? Have, have we already gone through all this stuff and now we're reading this in a different, different way? And I, this, is, this is my interpretation of this and we, we can hash this out at some point in time, but my interpretation of this is that the Antichrist is first and foremost a spirit of Satan. It's a spirit of Satan that is doing everything it can to rise up against the kingdom of God in multiple ways. All right? That's why you're going to see persecution come, even before the rapture probably. That's why you're going to see some persecution happening. Um, because there is a spirit of Antichrist always around the earth. It's all, always in and out and working in the earth situations in some of the governments and some of, of, a lot of times it does use government because that's the highest authority of the land. Um, I would dare say that you've got those that, um, like Hitler, who probably had a type of this spirit upon him. How else could you do so much evil um, and then justify it? I mean, really, um, Stalin and just over and over and over people in fact, if you were to look up history, just Jewish speaking, um, in uh, 168 B.C., a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, he actually takes over and, and begins destruction of Jerusalem before Christ is even ever born. And as he takes over Jerusalem, 
He sets up in the temple, in the holy temple. He, he tears out all of the holy place, cleans it out, and sets up a, a god or an idol of Zeus to, uh, to, to pray to Zeus there in the holy of holies in the temple and even sacrifices a pig there on the altar that is meant for Zeus, not God, as all the God altars have been t- torn down and taken out. So there's already a desolation there happening in 168 B.C., all right? In AD 70, a Roman, uh, Roman who soon will be emperor, man by the name of Titus, comes in and destroys all of Jerusalem. Josephus writes that he came in and he, in a political way, first begins to sort of empower himself over, Jew, over the Jerusalem and the Jews, and he actually, um, he actually makes it a way for all of the Jews to come back into the city of Jerusalem to have their, fa- their feast of the Passover, and then he barricades that, them in two to three million people barricading them in the city so that they begin to starve to death. And Josephus writes, one, over a million, 1.1 million Jews die, a lot from starvation, others from persecution there with Titus coming in. And then he actually goes into the temple once that happens, cleans it out, and, and uh, one of the Roman authorities bow down and call him God there in the most holy place. So I said all that to say, I certainly believe that the Antichrist, there's a spirit of Antichrist that has been working in the world since Christ has ascended into heaven and said, go. All right? It's my, this is just my opinion. You can take it for what it's worth, okay? I get changed back all the time. Not a big deal. Okay. Take it for what it's worth. But my opinion is, is that Satan, who does not know the day or hour, okay, he don't know when his time has come. He knows it's coming. Remember whenever Christ went to uh, the man who was consumed by the legion of demons there in the tomb of the Gadarenes? Okay? And what happens? The man runs up to him and bows down. And the, the demons begin speaking out of him and says... What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Is it our time? Is it time now for, for this, this ultimate showdown? Is it beginning right now? They know it's coming. Satan knows it's coming. But does he know the day or hour? Obviously not, because none of God's children do, none of the angels do. Christ said only one knows that, and that would be his father, right? So if he, as the enemy to the kingdom of God, doesn't know the day or hour, do you think he's going to wait for the rapture to happen for him to step in? Or do you think he is constantly trying to step in? And as Paul writes in Thessalonians, that that's not going to happen until the church is taken away and the buffer to the Antichrist spirit is taken away. Once the church is taken away and the buffer is gone, then... He has the authority to step in there. So that means that he is at all times. Because I've had someone ask me, do you think the Antichrist is alive and well today? And I would say yes. Because it's always ready. He's always ready to embody himself in some 
person or some situation to begin to take over. He just can't do it until the church is gone and the buffer is gone. Okay? So, in fact, I want you to read um, 1 John 4 and 3. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So if it was already in operation there, that means the world has seen some glimpses of it. But I've heard other preachers say this, and uh, was it John Hagee that said that the, the true Antichrist will make Hitler look like an altar boy? That there really will be somebody even worse coming. Now that blows my mind because I've been to the Smithsonian. I've seen the, the museum there, um, the Holocaust Museum. And I've seen, and, and that was not just, that's not firsthand knowledge. But it, it took me aback just looking at all of the stuff that I saw in that museum. It, I walked out of there with tears, much less those that are really, really connected to that. And to think that one person, one person can really do that to so many people. One person could be that evil and completely justify it. It blows my mind. It blows my mind. But to think that that is nothing compared to what the Antichrist is going to be, that really, which doesn't take much blow that little noggin off but that really that really sobers me up and humbles me a whole lot more than a Folgers cup I must really think wow this is some serious stuff that's going to be going on this is why I say whether you feel like you're the, 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 the dispensational belief that you're going to be taken out of this or not it doesn't matter. This, to this point, you better just get your faith in your affairs, spiritually speaking, in order, period. Okay? You, just, you don't have time to play. Whether it's 100 years from now or two minutes from now, you don't have time to play around spiritually anymore. You just don't. Okay? We have to be serious about this. We don't have time. We've got to move on. But you can read, if you're writing notes, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verses 3 through 10 also speak of the Antichrist. And that is part of what I was telling you about how I believe the Antichrist can't rise up until that buffer is gone known as the church. And or God saying, okay, now it's time to rise up. I'm allowing it now because God has a plan. Okay. You also got to remember that even though it's the Antichrist rising up, God is allowing it. And God's not going to allow the dark to happen unless he has a plan for a light to shine. That makes sense? Okay. That's a good one. Tweet it out, Jonathan. That's a good one. Tweet it out. <laughs> All right. So here we have the first seal. The four, you, you've heard the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? Um, this is the first one. It's the white horse who comes looking royally. Uh, with crowns and bows, but basically it's saying he's coming to somehow rise up. Governmentally speaking, we believe it's probably a Gentile. Some say from 
I've heard from the Middle East, from the European Union, from the new, there's going to be like a new Roman um, government that's going to be established and it's going to take over a lot of the ancient Roman area and try to begin to take that back over. Um, we don't really fully know, to be honest with you. We just know it's probably going to be a Gentile because a Jew would not rise up and be this harsh against other Jews. Most likely, it's going to be a Gentile. So, so anyway, so here you go. There, there you are. The Antichrist is, he's rising up. He, um, he's riding that horse around. So here we have the second seal, which is not just a red horse, but a fiery red horse. And when he opened the second seal, I heard in a second living creature saying, Come and see another horse, fiery red, went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that the people should kill one another and that there was given to him a great sword. This is part of that stuff I told you is already beginning to see tremors of that happening now. That there's going to be a time and a season that's coming forward where men are going to justify it okay to kill one another for their own reasonings, looking past the law and laws that they want to make for themselves. Um, we are already seeing this because this is going to come uh, as social upheaval. This is going to come as social disruption where there's not going to be an order to it anymore. It's going to come as those that don't want the order are going to cry for no order to be there so that there's no recompense. It's going to come as a great sword, the Bible says right here. The great sword probably speaking of persecutions. Persecution. Um, I heard Perry Stone say this. I have not fact-checked this. I haven't looked it all up. I haven't looked at this yet. I do, I do um, trust what he has to say for the most part that I, that I know of. But he said he had heard of riots happening very, very recently in America where they're already they're starting to burn Bibles and they're starting to call on things all Christian to be disposed of. Uh, that's already beginning to happen. Some persecutions, some things like that is already beginning to happen. Some rumblings, some thunderings, some tremors are already beginning to shake. It's a, it's a type of civil war. Now, I, I realize that some of us would actually look at what's going on in our world and think, wow, we're pretty darn close to that now. Um, I would say yes, but I'd also say, remember, this is globally we're speaking of now. This horse is riding worldwide. So imagine what America is going through times worldwide, where there's no peace anywhere. And I believe it has to happen this way. Because the man of perdition, the man of sin, the Antichrist, when he rises up, politically speaking, what does he have to do? He has to proclaim, wait a minute, 
here's the answer to peace. And he actually brings in peace and actually at first begins to look pretty successful as a peacemaker, so much so that he probably is going to sign a peace treaty with Israel and with some of the world that's going to be going on in warfare. He's going to kind of put a stop to it for a second and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Let's bring this to a peace. Let's bring this to a peace heading here. Now, first of all, there's got to be some wars and rumors of wars going on for him to rise up and do that. Second of all, he's got to, he, had, he would have had to already had some authority over the war that's going on for him to step in there and say, stop. This is where the bow and the crown comes in. That He's probably already been shooting the bow and doing it in such a way where he knows how to manipulate it to come around, put on the crown when it's time and say, okay, stop. Let's stop shooting the bow right now. Okay, let's stop shooting the arrow. Um, so here we have now this persecution, global civil war, social disruption, rioting, social upheaval, all happening here globally. I don't plan on being here at that time. I just don't. If, I'm, if I am, A, I might have missed out, <laughs> hope not, <laughs> or B, um, maybe the rapture thing is a little off, off kilter from what we thought. Either way, here's what I'm doing. If I'm left, I'm unplugging my TV. Because imagine all the bad stuff we watch now on TV and social media. <laughs> imagine then what is going to be going on on social media and on every single channel, every single radio station, everything. So not only, there's a little psychology happening here that not only is this physically happening all over the world, but what is it, what's it going to do to people who are on the edge of depression and this is all they hear day in, day out. It's already messed with a lot of our psychology here with what we're going on. So can you imagine this globally? Okay, we, we got to move on. Where am I? Okay, here we go. Verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. He who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. All right. First of all, denarius is a daily wage. Most newer translations probably already help you out with that. But if you're like me and you're still a little bit old school and you like the King James, New King James, and some of the older school, um, that, that's fine. Um, denarius is a day's wage. Okay. You take your weekly wage. If you're like Jonathan Moody, for example, he gets paid about, was it? 750000 a week, was it the last you counted, something like that. So you divide that up in the day, right? Um, now you take a day's wage, um, and he's basically saying that that's what you can buy one quart of wheat for. Let's just, let, let, let's just dive it down to, or derive it down to what we know of. How would you like to, to work all week long to be able to buy bread and peanut butter, and that's it? That's it. Somebody says, that's me now. 
Um, somebody's like, I don't like peanut butter. <laughs> um, this is basically saying you, you can do it. Divide it down all you want to, but here's basically what it means. Inflation. Scarcity and inflation. Scarcity and inflation will be so great that things will cost probably around 8 to 10 times as much as it would normally cost. So you got a favorite loaf of bread is 2 bucks. It's going to be 20 bucks. $20 for a loaf of bread. Mm-mm. 20 bucks for you be able to just make enough bread for a day. All right. um, this scarcity and inflation is obviously going to be driven a bit by the government that I told you that's also going to be rising up in the middle of all of this. And some people say that is probably could be why he says, and don't touch the oil or the wine. Okay? There's three interpretations on this. Popular, there's more than that, but three popular interpretations on this. Number one, they're taking this to a really spiritual way of looking at it when God says, don't touch the oil or the wine. And basically, he's spiritually speaking that the church will still be in operation, not necessarily the true church that had been raptured, but just think about it this way. There's going to be a lot of people that were on the fence about this stuff, that they know all of this stuff. Next thing you know, they're gone. They're going to know what the rapture stuff is all about. So they're then going to have to basically repent and become now the new church. And the oil and the wine will still be flowing in that church, which means the anointing and the Holy Spirit will still be in operation. Okay? But now, as, as wonderful as that sounds, I think it's not necessarily that because he's literally talking about barley and wheat and bread and cereal and all that good stuff, okay? So I think what he's saying is one of the two. When he says, don't touch the oil or the wine, what it could mean is that the rich people will, will be okay. That, that top 2% of the world they're going to be all right because they're the ones most likely going to be driving the inflation. Okay? They're most likely going to be fine. The second interpretation of this is that when he says, but don't touch the oil or the wine, is basically saying it doesn't matter if it's touched or not. You're going to have such a hard time just buying bread that you're not even going to be able to afford anything else. To buy just the main staples will take everything. So you won't be able to buy any luxurious items anyways. Which means they're probably staples and luxury items are going to be about the same price. You have to choose. You're going to choose. There's no good to buy a fancy car if you can't put gas in it. Or I guess in this day and time, plug it in. <laughs> right? Okay. So basically, you have this, this worldwide scarcity and inflation. Uh, all right, moving on to the fourth seal. And we opened the fourth seal. I heard the voice of the four living creatures saying, Come and see. So I looked and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to, him, to them over the fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. 
pale horse um, in the Greek language is kind of more of a greenish, kind of a light greenish, light yellowish kind of hue to it. Um, it says its name is Death, and Hades follows it. Now, Hades, if you read back in Matthew, Matthew 11, um, I think it's 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, somewhere right in there, Jesus says Hades. It says it a few times, but there's a particular time he talks about Hades. And Hades is one of two names for the underworld, which, which temporarily holds unbelievers until their day of final judgment. Not a place you want to go to. It's not, a, it's not a nice place. It's not the burning lake of fire yet. That happens later in Revelation. But it's a place of darkness and despair. Uh, it's a place of separation from Christ, separation from God. And think about this. If God is love and God is peace and God is joy and God is light and God is hope, and you are completely separated from all of that. Not a place you want to be in, which is called death, right? There's no hope of life. Death. Um, so he's saying that this is a place that he's going to be bring, bringing behind him, like he's almost like he's a horse pulling a carriage, and that carriage's name is Hades, that the death he provides for a lot of people is going to be for a lot of people that are unbelievers. Even some now believing more in the Antichrist than they did in Christ. And so with that, here comes, here comes famine. Here comes, um, it says, with swords, which means uh, some probably war. So some, some more war and stuff happening. Some of that civil rioting that I told you about is going to end up in some of this. Uh, he even says, by beasts of the earth. Now, that can be looked at as two different ways. Number one, it can be a type of pestilence. And number two, don't go to a zoo during that time. Right? Because mama bear may come out and you may not like the results of that. Um, it also says, I've heard one interpretation of this. and basically said, with the whole world going a little bit crazy... You know as well as I know, you've seen enough nature documentaries that when things aren't right in the world, what happens to the animal kingdom? They kind of start to respond in a way that's not really right either. And not only that, but they're going to be going through probably some crazy stuff in their animal kingdom world because things are shaking for them and differently speaking. But it's quite possible that there's going to be just a mess going on with the animal kingdom mixing up with, with people. Okay? It could very well could be all of that. So, But this, again, remember, this is widespread. This is worldwide. Okay? Worldwide. He says that he's given power over a quarter of the world. Population speaking quarter of the world's population. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but I just kind of briefly looked at this and I had seen where there are seven, almost 7.8 billion people in the world today. Okay? Um, there are one, about one-third of that call themselves Christian. 
So around 2.3 billion Christians in the world today that we know of. Now, I'm not so crazy to think that everybody who calls himself a Christian really is. But let's just say there's a billion Christians out there. Okay? Then we know that's going to be about 6.8 billion people left. Out of the 6.8, 6.5, you know, somewhere right around there, billion people left, a quarter of that is going to be almost 2 billion people dead in the matter of months, possibly weeks. It's a lot of funeral services. It's a lot of mass graves. It's a lot of desperation. It's a lot of depression. It's a lot of anxiety. It's a lot of sadness. It's a lot of mess. A lot of darkness beginning to be prevalent. Okay? So let's speak in, let's move on into the fifth seal, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then the white robe was given to each one of them, and as it was said to them, they that should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren would be killed as they were, was completed. This is speaking of martyr, martyrdom. Martyrdom. Um, there's going to be a lot of martyrs. There already is. I think I told you a few weeks back, 60,000 plus martyrs a year happen around the world right now. 60,000 plus martyrs a year? It's a lot of souls. And all of these martyrs, the Bible says that they are taken to a very special place in heaven right there under the altar that is before the throne of God. And they're crying out for, for vengeance, for God. Hey, you see what's going on in the world? When are you going to take your vengeance? When are you going to, when are you going to do something about it? Okay. Not only has there been some martyrdom going on even now, but in this day and this time there's going to be more martyrs happening with all the persecution that's going to be going on. The, 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 all of this is going to be happening all at the same time. Martyrs are going to be placed there at the altar of God. And as they're crying out for God to pour, all right, God, enough's enough, pour your wrath out. God tells them, wait a minute, wait a minute. My mercy is still there. I know it looks really bad and things are really crazy. But my mercy is still there. The Antichrist has not risen up to make them uh, receive the mark yet. So the, the time of martyrdom is not closed yet. That door has not closed completely yet. And we're going to read more through Revelation how martyrdom becomes even more prevalent throughout all of the world. And that's what God is saying. Not yet. But don't worry. Here's a white robe. You are now righteous Rest for a minute. Just rest for a minute because the time is coming. And if you believe like I believe, that time will come. And when that door of martyrdom is shut completely, then we all saddle up with some horses and we get to go kick some Antichrist boudet. All right? We get to ride out as the army of God. And we get to stand, stand tall and sit high in the saddle. 
and watch Christ do something incredible as we fight on His side. All right, so let's move on, and we're closing it down. Verse 12, And I looked, and He opened the sixth seal. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of, as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. Everybody's like, oh, wait a minute, I've already seen the blood moon. Tremors. Tremors. I've never seen anything like it where you're hearing asteroids. Right and left, asteroid comes close to the earth. We've got to know when 2029 is supposed to, do, supposed to completely destroy earth called Wormwood. They've already named it. All right? Um, stuff happening, cosmologically speaking. Uh, stuff happening in, in, in science and in cosmos and space and earthquakes and all this stuff. It's, it's, it's already tremors now. But then it's going to come full force. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as fig drops its late figs. As a fig tree drops its late figs. When it is shaken by a mighty wind. And the sky will recede as a scroll. And then it's rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, Please fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. Who is able to stand? God's power is ramping up. And people are beginning to notice that. Because the Antichrist does not have power over all of the cosmos that's going to be going crazy right now. Some interpretations say that this sky rolling back and what it's basically saying is that, yeah, all, all of a sudden they're going to look and stars are going to be just kind of fading out and falling out. But another interpretation says there's going to be so much earthquake that what's going to happen to volcanoes and and tsunamis and things like that, that as you look up, you're not going to see light. You're going to see a black cloud beginning to roll over the whole earth as if it was a scroll. There is obviously a lot of stuff that's going to be beginning to go down. This is just the beginning. This is just the first set of, of, of things that's going to be happening. And there's, there's two more sets coming on top of the other stuff. There's a lot happening, a lot happening in this seven-ish years. But I say all this also to say, please, read this in a way where you understand how important it is to take your faith and your walk with Christ so seriously right now. It may not happen in your generation. It feels like it will. <laughs> But what about the generation that's to come? And if they see our faith not really be taken seriously, just in this pandemic we're in now, what are they going to be doing? But as we take our faith seriously in what we're facing now, so hopefully, if it were to last to the next generation, so hopefully they will see, well, I know how to handle my faith because I watched mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. I watched them in their faith. 
And so I know how to take my faith and build on that. So be someone that takes your faith seriously. And if you do, whether persecution or rapture or, or whatever, you're going to be okay. In the end, you win. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we love you and we thank you. Lord, I know that this doesn't sound like good news. But Father, I give you praise because there is good news in this. Good news covering this. And the good news is that you loved us enough to warn us. You loved us enough to make sure that we knew what was coming. You loved us enough to make sure that we took our faith seriously now. You loved us enough to look at us through the eyes of mercy. And God, as you make your mercy new every single day, I pray that I take advantage of it every single day. Father, make, you, make, her, make your church ready, strong, faithful. Turn our eyes towards you. The Bible says, because in the middle of all of this mess, look up. Don't look down. Don't look down. Don't look worried. Don't look fearful. Don't look scared. Don't look fretful. Don't look down. Look up. For your redemption draws nigh. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you so much for listening to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan again. And we are so thankful and grateful for you to be here and join us. We ask that you would make sure that you subscribe so that you can catch other podcasts as they come out. Also, if you would rate it and comment, let us know how God has blessed you through this podcast. We love you. We thank you. Have a blessed day.